0: On this episode of Getting Scary Away, we're joined by our friends Mike Dobin and Rick Latimer to discuss the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Join us as we get into the tough questions, such as Is Edgar Allan Poe kind of sexy? And welcome to episode 22 of Getting Scaried Away. My name is Ricky, and my wife and co-host, Rhiannon, will be joining us in just a moment. Oh, also, if you're joining us for the first time, thanks for tuning in. On this show, we discuss all things horror, including, and not limited to, the great writers that so heavily influenced horror culture as a whole. An example of one of these writers is none other than Edgar Allan Poe. Joining us are two award-nominated artists who are translating the works of Edgar Allan Poe to the virtual stage. Representing 1666 Theatrical Productions, we are pleased to introduce Mike Dobin and Rick Latimer to the show. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to have you here.
1: Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Absolutely.
0: How are you guys holding up?
1: We're doing okay. Uh, It's exciting to start a company and have something to, you know, keep my mind at bay constantly. When I uh, look around me, it's a tornado out there. So I feel like (laughs) I need to just like stay inside and have something to kind of keep me creatively fueled. And, uh, the company's provided that, uh, 1666 theatrical productions. And, uh, We're excited for the future.
0: Yeah, right on.
2: Well, I was getting just uh, a little bored just doing stuff for Facebook, so I figured we'd uh, show it to more people. (laughs) Just my Facebook account. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, Rick's the series of silent films. (laughs) So, uh, and he's got a little fan base with that. It's It's a cult thing.
3: Oh, we love a cult. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't think I knew about these. Where, where can people find these? Just on your Facebook page? On
2: Facebook. They're just me and my dog during the beginning of the pandemic, just basically doing a two-man show in my apartment.
3: I love that.
0: Oh, that's incredible.
2: They're short. They're silly. But you know, people seem to like them in the beginning.
0: It sounds like that's just the content that people need right now. Wholesome.
3: <laughs> a dog. Anything with a dog. So how has, how has it been? I, I mean, did you... Think about starting this during the pandemic, or did you have plans for it? And then the pandemic just kind of happened and you just kept going forward or?
2: We, we had discussed, um, the three of us, Mike, Shelby, Converse, and I had discussed doing a company back probably 2019, um, as we were preparing to do, um, another play that we had done locally called Mercury Fur, and we Mm -hmm. had worked together on a few other projects. And. We had worked together so kind of in such a good groove, the three of us and the results we thought were very good. We figured we should maybe look into just doing some projects on our own, doing some theater projects, maybe a company on our own. And that was kind of what got the ball rolling for it. And then when the COVID hit, it was kind of like, well, what do we do now? And it was sort of do we wait or do we try to tap into this virtual world? And we decided to take a a dip in the water that way.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to keep moving forward, but just to backtrack for one second, congratulations on Mercury Fur because absolutely. it was one of the last shows that we saw before the pandemic. I think it was
0: the last show that we saw.
3: And it was just such a great piece of art to have stuck in our minds until like t- to leave that taste in our mouth until theater returns. Um, it was Absolutely wonderful, and I'm sorry for anybody who didn't get to see it, but I just wanted to say congratulations on that.
1: Yeah, thank, thank you, for, you, thank you for coming to the show. Uh, I was happy to see you guys coming up the stairs to the theater. I know it, it's uh it takes a brave person to come all the way up the stairs, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. ultimately uh, try to reward you with the best show possible.
0: <laughs> it was it was well worth it
3: and amazing casting. It was a lot of our good friends in the cast and just people that we've never seen. Yeah. in these particular t- types like these parts and you had
2: a freshness to it didn't it because it wasn't yes. normal faces you see all the time it was like well who's that who's that and oh my god I can't believe that all these new people I've never heard of I think it kind of gives the, the material and energy that you, you know you can't have sometimes with just the usual suspects I guess absolutely. absolutely
3: and and some People that we knew. I mean, we went to Buff State, and so we know some of the some of the people from Buff State, but have never seen them like this before. And I was like, "Oh my god, I didn't even know you could do that!" And it was just, it. I mean, it was really phenomenal. Who writes like
2: Mercury Fur, though, right? It's like you've never seen it because who writes? I mean, oh my gosh, catalogs. we probably can't get into it here, but my goodness, no.
3: <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. I've I've truly never seen a show like that, and it was it was amazing to see
1: yeah i just uh i the last i'll say on it is just i think that the cast fell into my lap in a lot of ways like i think i pre-casted like about three actors for the show um beforehand and then everybody else was just open call for auditions and they fell in my lap and just kind of i gave them gave them the parts and they ran with it um and it was like, it was just incredible. Like it was funny because the party guest, Vinny, uh, Vinny DeStefano, he, uh, he came back to town and talked to Rex and Kev at matinee and they, they all of a sudden were like, yeah, I know somebody who's looking for people for a show possibly. And they sent him my way and look what happened. You know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy how stuff like that happens.
3: That is, oh my gosh, that, that's wild. I love that.
1: Um,
0: all right. So Rhiannon and I both had the pleasure of watching the Cask of Amontillado on your website for free, and it features Afrem Jambalai as Fortunato and Gabe Robert as Montresor. Now, right off the bat, this just captures such a creepy, um, unsettling,
3: overall spooky yeah. in the best way. It was it was a really Fun thing to watch like right now. We're recording this Halloween week, by the way. This won't be out Halloween week, but we're recording it Halloween week. So we're in major spooky territory.
0: For sure. For sure. So this is very, very appropriate for the time. And this production was adapted and directed uh, by you, Rick. And I want to know more about what that process was like adapting this piece for the stage, not only for the stage, but for a filmed socially distant adaptation those are a lot of challenges thrown your way what was that like
2: um well it originally started off as a, a piece a larger anthology piece like maybe like two years ago I sat down and I was like what if we did a night of Poe at one of the local theaters around here and we kind of did it like um kind of like a Tales from the Crypt where you have like mm. some sort of like Cryptkeeper introduction person that kind of opens you up and then you do the first story. And then he, the, you know, he comes in and does the second story and they all kind of, it's like a night of post. So you do like three or four shows. And by the time you're done, it's about two hours. So I had sat down and I adapted um, three or four post sh- shorts into for a stage. So at home on my computer, there's like a 60 page, whole thing of this. Wow. Um, so, and then when we were looking to do, um, 1666 our first show you know we started to think about well what can we do what can we figure out and you know Poe hit some things that we really needed like um you know I'll just say it off the bat he's in the public domain so there's no issue with that his stories are timeless they've survived over the years and i think we wanted to find one it's i find it funny that out of all the ones i adapted cask was not one that i adapted I had to oh. rewrite that one on the spot. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> because the ones that we did, the ones that I wrote a few years ago, they did not incorporate how we needed to film this. And you want to talk about a challenge. You know, there are rules of media production at this time with the COVID-19 mm-hmm. New York State restrictions. And we needed to find a piece where we could have very small casts, you know, cast of Amaniato, two guys. We need to find something where they could be socially distant enough, but still have, you know, a nice dramatic element to it. And, you know, Cask just really hit on that too. And I think the third thing with Cask, if you read Poe, he doesn't really have a lot of dialogue in a lot of his stories. A lot of mm-hmm. like characters talking, it's usually him talking or right. the, it's a very narration type of piece. But this one was, th- they actually spoke and I thought, okay, we can actually mine a lot of this for the work. And the final thing is it's a revenge piece. And I think revenge pieces are incredible. Everyone can tap into it. And that's definitely one of the the things that we did with it. So I adapted it with the idea that we're going to have to keep these actors kind of separate, but also film it in a way where it could still be dynamic. And then we just, we started to roll with that.
0: Well, I'll I'll tell you, I mean, you definitely pulled it off. It was because... You know, this whole this whole situation is so foreign to all of us going through it and we're all figuring it out as we go. So theater being a part of that sort of equation, like how do we do theater? How do we translate theater into a new form that is safe and accessible? This, I think, is the perfect example of how to do it. And I'm not just blowing smoke. I mean, it really was super well done um it because it it seemed very thoughtful it it seemed like there was a lot of thought and effort that went into this kind of thing to pull it off
3: yeah to be honest before we um we talked about it a little bit more and we were just watching it i was like oh this was really great like when when was it done like it wasn't done in covid like i <laughs> i didn't i didn't think oh this this was a COVID piece that was, you know, I mean, like I didn't think that that was even an element to it. It was just independently great. And and I think that that's what's really important for people who are trying to produce work during this time is to make it not seem like we're only doing it in this format because of COVID. Um, like it, it, it stands independently of COVID mm-hmm. and like, it just happened to work out the way that it was cast and we were able to be socially distant and, and all of that. So I think that that's just so- something to be said about that is a couple years down the line when COVID is fingers crossed over, definitely um, it, people aren't going to look at this and say, Oh, this was a piece that was made during COVID. People are going to be like, Oh yeah, this is a great piece of art.
2: Well, it was important to us and and to myself that when we filmed it, Or even when we put the whole thing together, it was like what you see on the screen is literally what you would see if you went to a live production of it. Like, we could take Cask right now and we could do that production live. We don't need to screw around with anything else. Like, we didn't use a lot of camera tricks, we didn't use a lot of special effects or anything like that. I mean, there is some stuff at the end we had to kind of do with, like, the well, if you know the story, you know how it ends. So I don't want to spoil it here, but I wanted it to be like, we can go with this live immediately. You know, that's why even like in the scene changes, I we wanted the lights up, the lights down, you know, give that effect that you're there in the theater. And it's like, you know, scene changes seamlessly, even have like the, the carryover music during the lights out and stuff like that. So it was important. And I got to say that um, Anthony Grande, um, he was our cinematographer and our camera guy. And um, we sat down and we definitely had many, many discussions about editing and he did a fantastic job on it. So I don't want to, go too far without mentioning his contributions to the project as well so
3: absolutely yeah
0: it was it was was very very well done great job anthony grande also the sound editing uh and production was that roy walker yes okay
1: yeah we met on kiss of the spider woman all three of us and uh when we decided to throw this whole thing together he was the first person i called because i knew we would need excellent sound and mm-hmm. was game for it and has done awesome work and we love working with Roy we're going to be working with him a lot moving forward yeah you know, it's funny love- I'll say
2: one thing that there was a piece of sound equipment that he had left up for spider woman that we actually utilized for cask it was it had this great echo effect it was like a microphone hanging right from the center of the stage like right down over the actors. so when they got really loud it created this incredible echo effect
0: Oh, amazing.
3: (laughs) I was just going to say, I loved that echo.
2: Yeah. You know, this idea that you're in like a catacomb cavern crypt. And, you know, I just met Roy on Spider Woman and he is fantastic with sound. He's, it's incredible to watch him work, how he takes stuff and makes it happen.
1: I mean, since we are talking about Spider Woman, I will say, uh, you're working in New Phoenix. Uh, Richard Lambert's been pretty gracious to us and allowing us, uh, to be using, utilizing the space and, uh it's been pretty awesome because I was the last stage manager of the set that was in there. It was because of the spider woman. So kind of still walking on the ground that I've been, uh, that I was contracted to walk on. So, uh, it's one of those things where I, I felt comfortable all the way. And, uh, he's trusted us to put, uh, put forth safe productions and be in a create a safe environment. And that's one of the things that 1666 is really priding itself on is, The safe production, good atmosphere. You know, if there's one thing about filming and rehearsing and stuff like that, it's that it can be stressful in itself. And to add on a pandemic, we're also talking about like you have to get screened at the door. We do temperature checks every actor when they come inside. They have to wear a mask whenever they're not being filmed. All these regulations that are very important to respect, and then also Mm -hmm. maintaining six feet of distance. You know, it's one of those things where uh, from that alone, it's really important. And we're we're really, you know, take pride in knowing that we have provided that atmosphere for everybody.
3: And that's great to hear. And you're definitely one of the first. I mean, I know that there are uh, other theaters who are dabbling in, in different things. And there was the virtual curtain up that happened. And so people did some some recordings for that. But as far as ongoing projects. I think that that's really important to set those rules and set that precedent for as as long as this pandemic goes on, um because it is important to keep the actors safe so that they can keep working and keep yourselves safe so that you can keep working and designers and everybody involved. But I was going to ask uh where you were filming. So that's great to know that you're able to utilize that stage. And that's what I loved that it it was you know, on, on this stage and on this set. So like you said, you could take it live at any time. Um, And that's, I liked that a lot about it.
0: Also to see it on a stage period. I mean, because you could have easily gone on a location and like filmed this in like a winding stairwell and done a shot there or, you know, gone to a cavern and get yourself a bunch of bricks and build a wall. But you actually filmed it on a stage, which to me, as an audience member, put me in the seat of of a theater, and it felt very good to see that. Yes,
2: that's that's um, exactly right. Because I mean, what what is it called? Virtual theater, right? So it's like virtual yeah. theater is doing it in the theater. You know, doing it out of the theater is an independent movie. So I mean, everybody's got their own thing, and it's fine. But if you want to talk about the technicalities of it, you know, it was in the, that was important to us that, like I said, it's virtual theater. It will be in a theater.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well you pulled it off. I um before we get into the Raven, which I'm very excited to talk about, I don't think we got a chance to ask you why Poe stories? Why Edgar Allan Poe? Hmm. Honestly, we ask the we ask the hard hitting questions here. I'm yeah. getting scared away.
1: <laughs> no, I, I kinda just get invested in the story itself. I'm I will I mean I <sighs> I guess I'll go on the record as saying I'm not the biggest Poe fan mm. by any means.
0: Thank you all for listening. This has been getting scared <laughs> away.
1: But, uh, but no, I enjoy telling the stories because I think that it goes back to what you guys discussed earlier, which is like the revenge story and like feeling that uh, just, just being able to, you know, the, they were written in the 1800s and it's still just echoes today, okay. like all the sure. relevant themes and stuff like that
2: i think i think edgar Allan poe is pretty sexy even though it deals with all oh. the-
3: um
2: i like that so much stuff is interchangeable especially in in theater like we're talking about the raven you know we, maybe i'll just go into a little bit now like um up until now when you think about the raven you think of like christopher lee james earl jones um you know those you know older men telling this tale about their lost lover well we're not doing that we have um, five women telling the tale of it, something like that, which is I think I think exciting. It brings a new energy. And I think Poe's stories because you can put them anywhere. You can put them at any time. and I feel that his writing had such a genius to it that it incorporates any time period. and an audience can look at it and they can see either part of themselves or they can see a part of the world they live in. It doesn't matter that it was written in 1840 something. you know it still resonates with the audiences today. And that's part of, I think, his power. And that's what captures me about the whole, the whole thing with Edgar Allan Poe. It's, it's that type of um, energy and type of resonance that his you, writing brings. You just
1: have this certain, it just has a certain adaptability. Like, I sat down and I wrote a script for one that we're talking about doing next, which might be Mask of the Red Death. And when I sat down and wrote it, the only thing I had in my mind was, I want to write it like a black and white, like Nosferatu movie.
0: Oh, hell yeah.
1: And like something short and sweet because the story itself isn't that long. And there's only two lines of dialogue in the whole, in the whole thing. So once you get past a lot of the beautiful flowery descriptive language, I call it flowery, even though it's extremely Gothic, but, (laughs) but um, you know, it's, it's just after you at once you get to the core of it, there's just the ability to tell any tale that you want. It's just all there. And yeah. I, that's, what I, that's what I love about it.
0: That's awesome. Well, I I think, you know, it's it's similar to adapting something like Shakespeare or, you know, something like that. It, it, just because a lot of those stories carry very relevant themes today. Yeah. And they're stories that no matter when they're told they're going to be accessible to somebody at some time.
3: Yeah, and a lot of them are so well known even if you don't know exactly what it is, you've heard about it and you might be curious about it and you've definitely heard of Edgar Allan Poe. I and I think that you guys are absolutely right. He's he was just like so tortured. So what mm-hmm. um what he wrote Became like was very truthful to him at least, even though it was it was super dark and I'm very interested in in that part of his life his yeah. his internal destruction and weird timely death.
0: Yeah, that like <laughs> seemingly no one knows anything about.
3: <laughs> he just like right. he 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 just drove himself to death. Basically, is what yeah.
0: all that happened. That's wild. That's wild. Rick, tell me a little bit more about why you think Edgar Allan Poe is sexy.
2: Oh, yeah. I like the aesthetic. I like I I I think I think his writing like, you know, whether it be like a Victoria, you know, like gentlemen or women like in like their their suits and their styles. I mean, like if you watch Cask of Amontillado, like we had we had Gabe like in like this super sexy black tux and he had this wonderful um masquerade um masquerade mask. Yeah. Yeah, like a masquerade mask and you know, friend Jambalai, you know, I mean, he just kind of oozes masculine and he's So it's like, I don't know. And it's like, even with other projects, I just, I just, it's just this, this mysteriousness that I find like intriguing and kind of, you know, intoxicating, you know, um, mm-hmm. there's, what was it? There was that, there used to be that gentleman, or I shouldn't say gentleman, because no one really knows, right? There was a person that used to go to Edgar Allan Poe's gravesite and always like, put roses down, I believe, and have a drink of, um, I say it was cognac or something like that, like near his, on his tombstone, every year of his death for years. And I think that person passed away, but there's something like that. There's like this, there's this romanticism about Poe, even though it's dark and even though it's kind of morbid, it's like, if you like that style, if you like that kind of like, um, like a Wuthering Heights type of look, you know, like those tortured characters, then I think that's for me. And that's kind of why I, I like it a lot.
3: Yeah, I like, I like to kind of decide on my own what he, what he looked like. Like I, I know, like I've seen, you know, things about him, but I like to just make my own assumptions on exactly what he was like. I think that, that that makes it even better, even a little bit more romantic.
0: Exactly. So let me ask you both a little bit about the Raven. Uh, Rick, you started to get into a little bit, um, but Mike, I know you said that, uh, the director, Shelby Converse, who couldn't join us today, but you said that Shelby had prepared a piece that she she wanted read on the show today. Is that right?
1: Yeah, just a short little bit about The Raven. Um, and I just feel like getting her perspective is important on this because she really took this project and ran with it. Um, Rick had written a, a script with the, like a Greek a chorus inspiration to it. Oh, wow. And then it evolved into... Uh, an interpretive dance piece and in a lot of ways that was Shelby and, um, and also Madeline Allard, who was the choreographer, um, but I'll read a little piece from Shelby here. The Raven started out as a challenge. How do you tell the most quoted poem in the English language when it's already been retold by James Earl Jones, Vincent Price, and Neil Gaiman? sitting alone in a chair usually with an actual raven on screen the answer is to tell the story from the perspective of someone who has been alone for too long isolated with their own thoughts missing the love of their life and so desperate for connection even if it is from a bird i think that is a story we can all relate to in 2020 how we respond when we are grieving isolated seeking answers And then I turned it into an abstract dance interpretation. I think there are many ways to tell a story and the poetry itself is gorgeous, but I think it can be told without words just as well. Our cast was wonderfully expressive and I thought there had to be a way to tell this story without someone sitting in a chair the entire time. (laughs) In this version, you'll notice that this is now a queer love story between the narrator and Lenore. Think Black Swan meets Haunting of Bly Manor. In reading the poem, Poe didn't give any pronouns to the narrator, who he decided to cast as a woman played by Ter- Teresa Kosmowski. The real story of Lenore might have been Edgar, Edgar's 13-year-old cousin wife who died of tuberculosis, but in 2020, why not something different? There are a lot of variations of horror stories. Poe wrote a lot of them. Gruesome murders, hauntings, but I think there's something very frightening about suddenly being alone.
3: Wow! Damn, I love that. Yeah, I love so powerful. <laughs> I I really love Black Swan meets Bly Manor. I mean, talk about sexy. <laughs> <laughs> <See>? Yes, yes. <laughs> that's that's great. What a what an amazing description. I'm so sad she couldn't be here with us today um, to talk about this, but I'm so happy that she sent in those thoughts because like you both said, it's important to hear from her as well. Uh, and congratulations to all of you on that. I, I do want to say I absolutely loved the kind of surprise day by day cast announcements that were happening. I really, really liked that one but it gave everybody their own little spotlight. And I, I thought that was really special.
1: Yeah. We think it's important, especially when, uh, You know, we're a fledgling company, Mm -hmm. so we're not exactly paying our actors a ton of money right now. But it's nice to get people working and really appreciate their talent and come in enthusiastic. And the best we can do is push them out into the world and hope that there's more for them, too, because it's not it doesn't just end with us, especially in our community, as you know, you know. And that's like a lesson I almost take from Mercury for it's like, I take this cast of amazing young people and I'm like, now cast them everywhere. Please see. They're amazing. (laughs) Yes. And I I agree with that. That's just a good philosophy to have about, you know, casting and working in a community like this.
0: That's absolutely incredible. And I think that's just so important. And with work like this, um, speaking just from, you know, the just working on a a Poe piece and dealing with that kind of language and that very rich um, material that that alone is going to be such a great um, foundation of experience for someone to go and work elsewhere. They're going to have that under their belt, saying, "Well, I worked on a Poe piece. I, I've had the opportunity to wrestle with material that was that was challenging," because it really is. I mean. This kind of work is dark and it's it's gritty and it's tough and it's sexy. And
3: <laughs> we love this this episode is all about the sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <Ring, yep. laughs>
1: Poe
3: is sexy. That's the Ash- yeah. sexy. <laughs> sexy. I'm gonna
1: go
0: for Halloween as sexy Edgar Ellen Poe this year.
2: But if I get to matinee first, man, you're <laughs> We'll have the duel of the sexy poe
0: as a man.
3: <laughs> a sexy poe Halloween party, period. Everyone has to come as sexy po. <laughs> sexy Poe. Um, but like furthering onto that, also, like you said, about having uh, you know, showing the world what these actors can do and saying, you know, go cast them, see they're amazing. What you've done um with kind of everything that you've produced from Mercury Fur to now is give them, like you mentioned earlier, these pieces that nobody has seen before either. So not only are they doing like work that they might not specifically do, but they're doing pieces that other people are being introduced to for the first time. So they're not, see- they're not seeing them and saying, oh, I'm comparing them to this person because that's the last person that I saw in this role. Um, Because they've never seen somebody in this role before. And so all of these actors are having this amazing opportunity of setting their own groundwork and doing their own character development literally from the ground up. I mean, not taking inspiration really from anybody else's version of the specific characters because they are those original people to your adaptations.
2: It would have been it probably would have been easy to do The Raven in a very standard way. And I think to take it more broadly to 1666, one of the things that we talked about that we want really want to try to do is, is that there's no limit to the types of theater, the genres of theater you can do you know, yes. we, if we have to film it or we have to do it live, either way, it's like it doesn't have to be just a straight play with like actors talking. It can be a dance piece. It can be a Greek chorus. We can do you know maybe we'll do a ballet piece next or an opera or you know something like that. Or maybe we'll do you know puppetry or something. I mean, that's really what we want to explore with with the theater company. It's like it doesn't just have to be you know just one type of play. And you know, the more actors we can bring in that want to explore and express themselves. You know we would
0: love to we'd love to go down that avenue this kind of work it's also so malleable that you really can showcase it in so many different ways like that right you know I remember my first introduction to any Edgar Allan Poe material was i i saw a so I, when I was younger, I took a field trip to toy and they did like a series of um short pieces, and one of those pieces was. The telltale heart mm. so it, it was a a production it was it was maybe only like five or so minutes long um i can't remember remember but what i do remember from it was they didn't really hold anything back i mean it, it they really wanted to you know make it as spooky as possible without scarring kids um but i mean it was my first introduction to a post story and i was in love and I'm sure maybe if I saw it now as an adult um at the end of my life
3: I (laughs) in the final season of your life
0: I might look at it very differently and and I would see I would recognize that it's probably not as scary but for the time uh as an introduction to Edgar Allan Poe I think that's what hooked me that was what made me realize that I need to read more of this guy's stuff
3: yeah how old do you think you were like what grade
0: um I was probably eight or nine, maybe.
3: Wow. I don't think I ever read any Poe until like late middle school, early high school. So mm. that seems like a whole lifetime away from yours.
2: My first introduction was Treehouse of Horror 1 with the Nice doing The Raven. And I think that's, it's always been in the back of my mind, probably why I wanted to do this in some <laughs> subconscious way, but yeah. You know, that was that was definitely, it, which is a little bit funny version, but I think that's one of the best versions I've ever seen of The Raven. So, um, that was mine.
1: Uh, for me, it was, did anybody have like those book fairs when they were a kid? Like Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they were selling a copy of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. I don't know why. It was probably, you know, it's not really... Not that long. I don't know what they would turn it into. But um it was
0: a- <laughs> the, the text was very, very big.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, probably. That's what it was. And uh they they had the book and it just caught my eye because there's a sick black raven on the cover, and I was like, Oh, this is cool. And I just picked it up and I i took it home, and I think I read the first like two two pages of the poem and I was like, Yeah, I think I'm good. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. I kind of hoped that one of you were like, my introduction was when we decided to do this adaptation. Like, I don't know why I was <laughs> expecting one of you to just be like, right now when we just started, <laughs> just now.
1: I some of the some of the stories definitely for me, I had well, yeah, I hadn't heard of Casco Montiato until Rick sent me the script that you, he wrote.
2: You know, the one, oh, wow. the one that I wrote that we didn't that when I was saying when I first adapted this that I loved and I never heard of this before. I think it was called Hop Frog that um yes that poe did and it's about like um like a jester at like a king's court that just gets totally picked on and totally like humiliated and he gets his revenge on like the king at the end by like letting them all up on fire and, tra- and like burning them all alive and i'm like man we got to do that <laughs> yeah the <laughs> one we got to do it's just you know, it's just all about like you know, like it's a class system story, and it's about like the elites versus like the have-nots, and how about you know the people that don't have anything finally like are like enough of this shit. I'm gonna just get rid of you. And um, you know that I never heard of that story, and obviously they don't tell you that one at school. But um, you know, <laughs> doing this, you like Mike said, like you find some stories that they just don't talk about, and that yeah. one that I really, really
3: love. So Ricky just got. Is it like the entire? Works of Poe.
0: It's a. De- it's definitely a very large collection. Um, which I mean, the beautiful thing with Poe stories and like Shakespeare or like H.P. Lovecraft, like all these collections of stories, you can find them at like Barnes and Noble in sets for like five dollars. <laughs> yeah. And I found this like beautiful leather-bound Edgar Allan Poe book. It was literally for five bucks. Yeah.
3: I'm like, I'm not. And it's just a whole a book like this thick and it's like a, just a collection of yeah of a bunch of his stories and, and I it, think it that's... ends
0: with hop frog so it really goes out with a bang <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> see it's a good one it's a winner yeah yeah definitely
3: well that, and that's that's probably because of of the public domain it's probably not that expensive to publish a, a book like that yeah yeah so i have i have a, a little bit of a Broad question, and I don't know if if you guys have discussed this, but I don't know, and I think that our listeners would be interested to know. Um, how did you come up with the name for your production company?
2: Oh, well, let Mike tell this one.
1: So uh, it's his baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, at first, I, I'm a, I'm passionate about uh, like British literature. I've been to London. I wanted to go to school there at one point. That's kind of just a part of my life that I really like I really miss it in some ways this was back when I was like first starting college in uh, like 2010-11 and I was very idealistic about it and I really enjoy learning about like British and and British history especially London history and um, I loved to read about I mean in some sadistic way and so in some ways it's like uh, reading about the great fire of London and uh and what that did and like the rebuild after that into what it what it became after and I find that kind of fascinating and I had mentioned it as like a company name a while back just because of just I, I, I it was almost baseless I'll be honest it was almost baseless I just was like 1666 like that's just like Everybody knows that that's like that uh, is there's fire related to that, you know, and uh, so ultimately, um, I did some more research as we were coming up with our 1666 theatrical and I was reading that it wiped out the plague in some ways the black plague so back when the fires hit, it killed a lot of like the rats and um a lot of the disease that was rooting through London going back to middle, the Middle Ages. And that to me, I was like, we need to be an artistic company that kind of carries people through the pandemic. And in some ways I was thinking about the fire and how, that it, how it wiped out the plague. And I was just like, let me do something to kind of fight this, maybe in my own, just in my own way. You know, let me be creative. Like, I'm not going to let this, you know, this sounds ridiculous. Like, I'm not letting the pandemic control me. You know, I don't want it to keep me down. And so 1666 for me in a lot of ways is symbolic of a fight against the pandemic and this time we're living in.
3: Wow. I don't think I was expecting something that deep, but I love
1: (laughs) it. I I, I felt like I was rambling a little bit, but, uh, but no. That's like, I guess in some ways that's the true to nature story, the best I can give it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I love, I love that. Um, And you're absolutely right. I think that there's a parallel there. I mean, I I don't want to think of this as the plague, but there's, it's unfortunately, you know, there have been a lot of deaths related to it and you're right. We, have to kind of fight it and i think that that's a a wonderful way to put your art into into that sort of thought as well
1: yeah yeah i think that you know the year and making it a year it's almost like oh you know 2020 right like i feel like in 1666 the people in london were probably going the year of the devil oh you know right so it's it's that, that for me, it just kind of felt like in some way synonymous and hopefully, you know, the turning point is coming and we're rebuilding, but ultimately at the end of the day, you'll still, you know, there's not many years that have very like standalone, you know, value and in some, you know, whether it's good value or bad, but you know, 2020, 1666, something there.
3: And something that makes such a like global impact. Right. Right? I mean, even though that was specific to London, like it was it was still a global impact um, and kind of everybody uh, knows about it at this point. So.
0: Right. So going off of that, I want to ask you both um, when the world, so to speak, reopens, um, what will the future of uh, 1666 look like?
1: I'll let Rick say a little bit about his vision if he'd like to, but, um, I mean, I could just start by saying that I have no problem with just transitioning to, to, you know, brick and mortar doing live productions. Like our team is fully capable of doing live productions as we've done in the past, you know, um, we are, we're actually doing a production with, uh, with Richard Lambert at new Phoenix, uh, called Fox finder and, we're going to be following through on that, um, and it's one of those things where I think at the end of the day we're fully prepared from our, our from our experience to kind of transition into uh, into a, in an independent company. You know, at some point, go as far as we can. You know, we haven't really one of the things that we've kind of taken pride in in some ways is we haven't really tried to like publicly f- fundraise yet because we understand the world we're living in. We didn't want to just start a company in a pandemic and then turn around and say, Hey people, give us money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like let our, let our work do the talking and if people enjoy it, you know, and want to support us, that's perfectly acceptable. And we love it. And we, you know, we want all the fans in the world. We want everybody to see our stuff. You know, it's a challenge, but I think that, I think that we have a team of just excellent artists that can, uh, that can clearly perform under a lot of pressure, and why wouldn't you know? With some of that pressure alleviated, we even be able to do better, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah I don't. I don't think we have to box ourselves into anything. Anything right now, we can kind of let you know. In some ways, the market demand where we go with it. Um, you know, I mean, there are companies that started off as food trucks, and then they start. They got their own restaurants. You know, maybe the virtual theater is the food truck and then, you know, the company and the actual theater is the restaurant. I mean, you could think about it like that. I mean, I don't think, you know, we can maybe maybe have both because I think one of the great things about the virtual theater is when you look at it, it can be like a guerrilla type of company, you know, like a a guerrilla approach to it. Like you could get, I mean, to do a production, to do like Cask or Raven live, which would be awesome. You might have to rent out a theater for two months. You know, a month of rehearsals and then a month of running. We could rehearse one of these shows completely off-site, free, rent out just a single week of a theater space, go in on Monday, rehearse Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, build the set, film Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, take the set down, we're done. A week. I mean, think about the financials of that versus a two-month rental, one week versus two months, and then we can put it online. And then you know, so that's something that we will consider going forward. About you know, and there will be certain projects that I I'm hoping will be live, and then there's other projects that we might want to do that will be strictly um, via the via the web via the website virtual theater because of how we do it.
3: Speaking to all of that, also there's an accessibility that's that might not be there with live theater, especially if you have some people who are really liking you, but aren't in the area. Um, And so the accessibility of being able to watch your work from anywhere in the world and whether they are more comfortable staying home or, um, you know, even if they're able to go there, but they're not able to come to Buffalo to see it. uh, There's something to say about accessible theater as well.
2: Well, well, I'll just say this real fast. It's like, when you do something like Poe and it's in the public domain, you we can put it all over the country. We can put it all over the world. Like anyone can watch it, Australia, wherever you want. Um, you know, when the pandemic first started, a lot of the publishers were a little bit hesitant about how they were going to figure out how to like give the rights to their shows. Right. So what you're seeing is is that, and Mike I, Mike knows this better than I do, but it's like you just if you if you buy the rights to do a show that doesn't mean that just because it's virtual that we can do it in Buffalo and we can put it in like Mississippi, right? Mm -hmm. There are, I think, certain rules, which limit you when you do an actual, when you buy the rights, when you do something of your own, then you, you have free, free reign to put it wherever.
1: We've had viewers of Casco Amontillado in Portugal, the UK and Canada. Um, at least that's as far as I've last I checked and that wasn't within the first week of, uh, of it going live on our website that's awesome it's already uh, generating some reach we've uh you know we've tried to really uh in some ways celebrate the the poe community and bring this into the poe community and so we've heavily promoted it with um with people that love edgar Allan poe and uh it's been well received so far so we feel like we did our, you know, we feel like we're honoring Edgar Allan Poe and doing excellent work when the, his dedicated fans are celebrating our work as well. And yes, yeah, that's like extremely gratifying because you're stepping into, you know, you're stepping into a ring with people that know this stuff better than you can ever imagine. You know, I just said earlier that I'm not the biggest fan of Poe. And you know, <laughs> so I'm trying to step in the ring and do the best service to his work that I can and take pride Mm -hmm. in that. And that's what, uh, and that's what I love about being, you know, a creative artist, you know?
0: Well, as an audience member, I I can assure you that you're all creating some really fantastic work. And I think you're doing a great service to the, to those post stories. And I cannot wait, cannot wait to see what you do with the Raven, knowing, you know, the direction that, that Shelby is taking this. I I cannot wait to see where it goes. And, I'm just really excited and I'm, I'm so happy that you guys are doing the work that you're doing. This is really, really cool.
3: Yes. And just before we kind of come to the end of our time and have to close out, um, could you share with us when people are able to access the production or where they can access any of your work?
1: So our work can uh, all be found on 1666theatrical.org. We stream our content free. Um, We have a donation button if you'd like to click on it and, uh, you know, give us a little bit of money. We would love it and appreciate it. And uh, we will have the Raven out as soon as possible. The fun thing about what we're doing is everything's from scratch and uh we have a composer on our team that is building the entire dance arrangement himself and uh so yeah it's only nine minutes but (laughs) it's gonna be basically you know nine minutes of original music and charlie rose that is our guy he's a genius and i couldn't get away with this without shouting him out so Thank you, Charlie DeRose. That's what you
2: learn about virtual stuff. Nine-page script, you know, month of post-production. <laughs> so it's fine. It's good, though. It'll be worth it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And um, so just to clarify for everyone, and we'll put it in the in the description as well, um, but 1666 Theatrical, uh, the 1666 is the numbers,
1: 1666. 1-6-6-6. 1666theatrical.org.
3: Perfect. And then any social media or... For now, Uh, you can
1: find us on Facebook under the same things and Instagram and Twitter at 1666 Theatrical.
3: Amazing. Absolutely love it.
0: Mike, Rick, we appreciate you both so very much. And thank you so much for your time today. I cannot wait to see The Raven. I love this kind of stuff. And I love that you're making it accessible for everyone to, to check out because this is the kind of... Material that people should be checking out right now. Thank you. Um, absolutely.
1: Coming, yes. I'm Rhiannon, thank you very much.
3: Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you both for coming.
0: So, my name is Ricky. I'm Rhiannon. Eat your vegetables
3: and get good sleep.
1: I'm Mike Dobin. Hang in there. <laughs> Stay off social media for the next approximately two weeks. And uh, if you haven't voted yet, you better friggin' vote.
0: Yeah. You can swear on this. That's okay.
1: Um, If you have to vote, you better (laughs) fucking get out there
0: and vote.
1: Rick Latimer,
2: um, if you decide to go trick-or-treating, just be sure that when you get to the door, if you're an older person, to just go on your knees so they think you're a kid and you can get the candy that way. (laughs)
0: That is not the direction I thought you were going to take this. I I thought you were going to say like, if you're trick-or-treating this year, make sure you're wearing triple masks to make sure that you're not transmitting anything. Yes.
3: And then when you said old person, I was like, make sure you're wearing a face shield. You're very (laughs) immune compromised. Like, I didn't know where you were going.
0: No, no, no. You just want us to get that top of the line candy, baby.
3: Yes. Get on your knees so they think you're a child. Amazing.
2: Let's finish off 2020 with something positive.
0: (laughs) Well, with that, folks... We want to thank you all for listening. Go check out 1666theatrical.org and enjoy what they have to offer. Mike, Rick, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you, guys. Thanks.
0: Bye-bye.